0: Thanks, Sergeant Hot Dog.
1: You know, when people listen to the podcast, they don't hear that part where it starts recording, so they have no idea what you're talking about. That exactly makes it even better. People are just going to be like, why does he say thank you, Sergeant Hot Dog, every time the podcast starts?
2: I love the mystery. Welcome to the Jamcast, everyone. Welcome. Episode four. War numero quattro. Also, I'm moving to push to talk for this,
1: so that way whatever issues I was having with the uh system picking up my
2: voice when I started talking quieter hopefully will not happen. Hopefully everything comes through this time. There you go. So, uh I'm just going to keep this tradition rolling. EDC check.
1: What's in everybody's pockets as we sit here on a Saturday evening?
0: Either in our pockets or in close proximity of grabbing.
1: Yeah, or or what's been with you this week or something as you've gone about your business?
0: Well, uh, let's see. I'll start it off, I suppose. Um, I've been primarily carrying my
2: Kershaw The Kershaw Shuffle. I don't know if it's two or whatever, but it's the... Uh, I can't even remember the type of blade the blade type it is, but I really like it. Uh, Fisher
0: Space Pen, uh, I3 T EOS for a flashlight. My Maxpedition wallet and various things inside of it. Uh, my Smith and Wesson M&P 9C 2.0, and my Zach Tool keychain holder. Thing about.
1: I still don't have one of those, despite saying every time you mention it that I like those things.
0: It's cheap. <laughs> I
1: know. I really do just need the next time I place an Amazon order, just throw it in my cart for five bucks. Yes. What about you, Jeremy?
3: The usual with the VP9 over here and uh, my usual collection of SOG knives. I haven't I haven't really carried much lately been damn busy
1: uh yeah, I haven't i honestly since covid you know I don't go out very much anymore, so I don't carry as much anymore either, but I've been carrying more around the house just to sort of you know to get used to having it on me even just when I'm sitting around
3: got that thing on me
2: exactly also you, you know not to sound like a paranoid crazy. There are plenty of
1: stories out there of people just in the middle of the day getting their house broken into. Although, you know, actually... Yeah, Yeah, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, you're closer to, you know, the shenanigan area of a college campus, so... Very true. I wonder how um,
1: home invasions have been changed with COVID, because, uh, you know, people would get their house broken into in the middle of the day sometimes, or... Stuff kind of taken off their porch like porch pirates i wonder now with it, most people still working from home and have been doing so all year i wonder how that's changed that whole not really an industry i guess but that whole thing
0: yeah. the, 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 the <laughs> home criminal in, in industry. yeah
1: well, if you want to call it an it's in industry. Shambles.
0: <laughs> it's in yeah.
1: shambles i just i can't break into anyone's house everybody's <laughs> home
0: <laughs> what about my job what about my needs
1: my job security is awful. Well, so I um one of the things that I don't know if I've mentioned on this podcast before is that I am a subscriber to an EDC subscription box that is put on by a company out of Georgia called Going Gear. Going Gear is uh they they're pretty popular as far as online sales go, but their actual physical outlet store there, like if you're into EDC or camping or survival gear or whatever. Can actually go in there and you know knives and flashlights and all sorts of stuff everywhere um, and they put together a monthly subscription box uh it's sixty bucks a month and they promise of course that the value will be at least one and a half times the cost of the membership etc etc and they actually do um they actually do quite a few customs like they'll work with manufacturers to get like a custom version of a knife made and stuff like that so um in this last box that came uh, last week, I got a Kaiser Mini Sheepdog, and this particular one is in OD Green Micarta, which is an exclusive for Going Gear, and this is definitely not a knife that I would have bought for myself, because this has got like a crazy cleaver style blade, but the, the actual blade grind on it is a, is a, a sheep's foot, which for those of you who may not know, a sheep's foot is like a a blade where the entire length of the, the cutting edge is like a big curved belly, and then the very tip of it just comes straight down. So, if you know, you can Google a picture of the Kaiser Mini Sheepdog to see what I'm talking about, it's a very unique style of blade. Um, and I gotta tell you, I it's really grown on me since I got it in the mail. Um, not like I said, not something I would have bought for myself, but the more I've been carrying it, and I've been carrying it pretty much every day. Since I got it last week, um, it was uh, it was in my pocket on the way to the store today. In fact, um, I don't know. I, this thing's just really grown on me. I think this is what steel is this? this is, uh, uh one fifty four cm. So it's a solid blade steel. And Kaiser does really good stuff. You know, I think Kaiser is like the oldest production knife maker, at least in Germany. It might they might be the world. I'm not sure about that, but they're really old. So Kaiser's been doing stuff for a long time. It's got ball bearings on it. It's a really pretty-looking knife, you know, OD green. And uh, I've been pairing that since this is OD green, and I don't own a ton of OD green stuff. Um, the the subscription box I got the month before that had an Immolent flashlight in it, in also green. It's not quite OD, but it's close. It's kind of a darker green. And this is the uh, L070 Mini EDC. And it's, uh, calling this a mini is kind of a stretch. This is kind of a chonky boy. It's not very long, but it's kind of thick, but I mean, I guess it fits a, it's definitely pocketable. Um, anyway, it's just a tail switch. It's got magnetic recharging and things like that. Um, it's kind of got more style and flair to it than the O lights that I'm used to carrying. So, um, I don't really, I haven't carried it very much, but since I got this OD green knife, I've been carrying this light around with it too, just to be all matchy matchy. I've been I've been enjoying those two things a lot and then other than that just standard standard stuff notebook pen carrying my P365XL you know stuff like that but for me the last couple weeks um this particular knife and light have been sort of a a pair in my pocket at all times that I've really enjoyed and this light goes up to like an insane lumen count this thing goes up to like four thousand lumens on turbo which is just ridiculous you don't need a lumen count like that some of these flashlight companies just want to like have like a nuclear arms race see how many lumens they can get out of a small package and they don't even stay on for that long on those like they'll stay on for like 15 seconds on that setting cuz the heat that it generates so it's kind of useless anyway but in any case it's perfectly good as a pocket light so anyway i will uh stop rambling about that but i am just really excited i've really enjoyed the knife and the the light and la- or the uh knife and light combo it really uh
2: really made me happy very nice, very nice. I nice. guess that's enough of the EDC update. Um, did you guys
1: have any other topics you wanted to talk about off the top of your head? Man, I know you went—you uh, went on a va- our little vacation, right?
0: Yep, uh, my dad and I went up north into northern Michigan. We uh, took an extra day because usually we we go up. As far as Mackinac City, then the next day we go up to the Sioux Locks and then just come back home. Uh, This time we took an extra day and we went to the Tuquamanon Falls. Uh, Man, that's some pretty, pretty places to go. I mean, the Sioux Locks are uh, just an engineering marvel in and of themselves, and they're actually. they're going to be putting in a new lock uh, because now the biggest lock, uh, the Poe lock. The Poe lock. <laughs> I want to make that very clear. Poe lock. Oh my God, sir, that was terrible. I'm I'm not even kidding. It's P-O-E space lock. Uh, the is the biggest lock and can handle the, the big ore freighters and stuff. Uh, so they're building another uh, another one. And I don't know if they're taking down the two oldest locks that are real, that are fairly small. One of them's not even used anymore to make this new lock, or if they're just adding another one on. I'm not entirely certain. Um, and this is all on the American side of the Sioux Locks in the Straits of Mackinac.
1: And for those no, uh, who, that's who might be number. who might be listening that don't know what the what he's talking about, I'll throw something in here i kind of like ge- i kind of like geography the way the great lakes work around michigan right michigan has two peninsulas one on the north one on the south and we've got a bunch of lakes around us on the west side of michigan is lake michigan on the east side of michigan is lake huron and up north of the upper peninsula there's a big lake called lake superior super and deep. then on the,
0: and then on the southeast side is lake erie
1: yep and then trailing off to the east is like you said, Lake Erie and then Lake Ontario, which is where like and, uh, New York, and that's where um yeah, the, the, the Niagara Falls are. So way out there. Lake um, uh,
0: Lake 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 Ontario is the only great lake that Michigan does not touch.
1: Correct. Yep, Michigan touches four of the five. Uh, and so the Sioux Locks are up in the upper peninsula, sort of on the sort of on the northeastern side, and it connects Lake Huron with Lake Superior. The two lakes are on very different elevations. And so the I'm trying to remember the rivers. The Saint Lawrence River runs out of Lake Huron or Lake Superior all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. So it's like a it's a major. Well, allow
0: me to bring up the map.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know the lakes and the rivers running out of the lakes are these huge, you know, um, commerce lanes for shipping. You know, if you want to ship something to Chicago, you can come in through the Saint Lawrence River, come in through the Great Lakes, and get to Chicago. And of course, you know, way back in the day before planes that was, was
0: more important. But
1: in any case, um it's still so, really
0: important for things like iron ore and yeah, that exactly. kind of thing. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and this the Midwest is still very much, you know, there's a lot of manufacturing here. Pennsylvania's a huge deal town, etc. Anyway, um the Sioux Locks, so Lake Huron and Lake Superior are on two very different elevations. So to connect the two lay uh, the, the the two lakes to make them traversable, we have to, you know, you gotta go into a lock and or if you don't even know what a lock is. It's this thing where a ship goes into it and they just fill it with water and then it comes out the other end. So on one end of the lock is Lake Huron and one one end of the other end is Lake Superior. So whichever way you're coming, you can either go down or up. And basically, it's just this giant pool. It's a basically like a water ele- elevator. Yeah, they just the ship drives into it, they close both ends of it, and then they either fill it or empty it. And then when you're done, you're on the level of the the lake that and they just open it up and it opens up into the lake. So it's really right. cool.
0: And it's the, had... it, the locks are on the St. Mary's River and Lake uh Lake Huron is lower than Lake Superior.
1: Mm-hmm. Um i think I I had not heard that they were gonna build this like more Sioux Locks or, or modify them. How long have you known that? Is
0: it just something new or uh, since about Tuesday.
1: Oh they just announced it.
0: No, that I that I went up there and saw them have signs all over the place saying, "Hey, this is under construction." Oh, well, that's cool. So that's how I know because I went there.
1: <laughs> Very cool. I'm surprised they didn't make news around here. Sioux Locks are a pretty big Michigan uh, landmark. So I'm surprised they didn't make state news.
0: Yeah, there there are people in Michigan that never heard of the of the Mackinac Bridge either. Oh boy. Poor
1: Michiganders, those are.
0: <sighs> not not to offend Jeremy,
2: but most of them probably come from Detroit. <laughs> but anyway, so we went up there,
0: saw the locks, which and are quite quite the engineering feat. Um not to be confused with the two feet on the bottom of your legs. Um there is You gotta start the, keeping an alley of dad jokes. Well, you know. There there are four locks. There's the MacArthur lock that was uh, built in nineteen forty three. The Poe Lock is the oldest of them. Um, it was originally made in eighteen ninety six, although it was redesigned in nineteen sixty eight. Kind of given bigger
1: that, that old.
2: Yeah,
0: well, and then the Davis Lock and the Sabin Lock. Well, the the Davis Lock was built in 1914, and the Sabin Lock was uh, made in 1919, or finished in 1919. And the Sabin Lock is the unused lock. Um, The Lock and the MacArthur Lock are the two nearest uh, the U.S. side of the St. Mary's River. Uh, and funny enough, there is a when we got there, there was a boat there's two boats. Well, actually, there's three. there were There was a boat carrying the large windmill things that you see out in flat areas to generate electricity, plus the little tour boat that they have that gives you the tour and actually goes through the locks and tells you how it works and blah, blah blah. And then the whole lock is the next one over, and that one had a big
2: ore freighter in it, and it was sitting real low. Um, So it was probably full coming from Wisconsin or
0: Minnesota. Uh, So that was really cool. It's nice to go there and actually see something go through. Um, Ironically, the name of the vessel that had the windmill was the BBC Mississippi. Mississippi. And the whole operation is run by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So, given that it was federal property, I was not allowed to carry or have my pocket knife on. So, there's that's a bummer. that. Eh, that's what it is. I grumbled about it. And then we headed west to the Tequamanon. And good luck trying to spell that based off the pronunciation. Um, falls. Which there are the lower falls, and there are there are the upper falls, and it's just it. I don't know if I've shared too many photos with you guys, but it's it's absolutely beautiful, and photos don't even do it justice.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed all those photos. I that's one of the areas in Michigan I still have not been as far as like a touristy attraction, but those pictures you shared were were
0: absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's it's just stunning, um, and it was real peaceful. You know, being up there with just the sound of the river, the sound of the falls, and, you know, I don't have to worry about interstate highway noise. And I can only imagine how beautiful it is at night without all that light pollution. But,
1: and Taquamon is not one of those, like, heavily touristy sort of areas. Like no, You kind of have to be in the know to know that that is up there, you know?
0: Yeah, you, you have to... You, Niagara,
1: yeah, but... Yeah, you have to Niagara know... Niagara Falls.
0: You have to know about Michigan... To, to really know about Tequamanon. And it helps that most people can't even spell it. I couldn't, I would have to look at it to spell it. It's spelled T-A-H-Q-A, or Q-U-A-M-E-N-O-N. It's one of those, it doesn't sound anything like, it's not spelled like it sounds. Or it's
1: Mackinac. Was, there's a lot of well, stuff in, in Michigan, <laughs> know, Wisconsin, and a, Minnesota. There's a lot of things named after, like,
0: Native yeah. American. Well, I mean, St. Marie is spelled Salt St. Marie,
1: and not even um, S A L T, it's S A U L T.
0: Yes. And then there's like at least two main spellings of Mackinac, and then there's Fort Michelin Mackinac.
1: My favorite is the fact that the Sioux locks are spelled S O O. And they are in Sault Ste. Marie. So you'd think that Sioux Locks is short for like the Sault Ste. Marie Locks, but they're not. The Sault Locks are their own like named entity spelled S O O. Michigan is a S A U L T. Makes absolutely zero sense just off the get.
0: And that's what
2: makes Michigan wonderful. Or one of many things. Um. But yeah, so we headed there,
0: checked out the falls uh made our way back and for the the whole trip up we took uh what is called old US 131 it's basically it took it's not the interstate it's not the, the freeway it's literally just back roads we went north went through grand rapids and you know cedar springs sand lake uh we stopped at Fife Lake where i have some um uh,
2: family history in. Uh, my great great grandfather on my
0: dad's side was a hunting and fishing guide on the Manistee River and he was known as Rainbow Jim and there is a uh, bridge named after him near Fife Lake which my family used to have property up there and sold it. That's cool. So, So we went up there
2: and it's just, it's just a nice area to be because you're you're out away from the city and all the
0: crap that it has a tendency to come with. And it was just nice to disconnect. And although I say disconnect, I still had my phone. But
1: well, we take your
2: meeting all the same. I'm glad you had that that opportunity to, to do that. You know. So. So yeah, we did that.
0: Then after the falls, we went back to Mackinac City, stayed the night,
2: and then came home the next day. Very cool, man. I'm glad you had a good trip. I know you were.
1: Um, you had texted me asking me about ham uh, radio repeaters. Did you happen to hear any activity while you were up there, or was it all quiet?
0: I it was quiet for the most part. Uh, other than the NOAA radio stations, and I got a couple of blips on MERS channels uh,
2: when I was near the falls, uh, but I didn't get anything solid. But so it was gotcha. pretty
0: quiet up there.
1: Okay, I know when I was going through the UP last month, in September, um, I got a couple of blips on some of the going down Highway 2, which is you know, skims along the northern edge of uh, Lake Michigan. But uh, I made a couple of notes that next time I go up there, I need to try to hit those, some of those repeaters that I heard on the way, but I, I was kind of hoping that uh, you would hear something up there. It's more of the, what I would call the more civilized part of the Upper Peninsula, you know, there's actual civilization up there.
0: Populated.
1: Yeah, populated, that's a better word. For, it. for those who don't know, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan is fairly wild. It's got a lot of, um, lot of national forest up there. You know, if you're not careful, you know, you could make sure you gas up because, like, you can be going down a highway down like the middle of the Upper Peninsula, and you might not see a gas station for a hundred miles. You know?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, best course of action: you get lost is head either north or south because chances are you're either going to run into Lake Michigan or you're going to run into Lake Superior. Unless you're too far west, then you'll run into Wisconsin, and
2: even then you'll still run into, like, Green Bay or Lake Michigan. Right. So that's what I've been up to. Um, I suppose we can move
0: on to some tech stuff. So, MSI did some interesting, or is allegedly has allegedly done some interesting potential scalping in the European market.
1: Yeah, I um, when I heard about that, I went out and I looked up a couple of videos about that because I thought that was pretty crazy stuff. Uh, I guess it's a little bit less of a big deal because it was one of their subsidiaries, and I guess it might have just been a rogue actor.
2: But uh, either way, it's uh, kind of fucked up, to use some layman's terms. Yes, yes.
3: The crazy thing about it is, uh, like, the fact that they got the cards in the first place. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah. Some something was more than something went wrong, or like, yeah, th- there was, there was some sort of, uh, some sort of activity there that shouldn't have occurred. And uh, I think if people are smart, they'll, uh, they'll avoid, uh, avoid the, uh, the subsidiary. Ever again. It sounds like they weren't very good to begin with, so maybe that'll maybe that'll happen. Yeah, it's
0: it's all there's a lot of speculation as to why and MSI really and uh the parent MSI didn't really do themselves any favors because their their whole response was kind of iffy. Um granted I the, the main video that I've watched was done by J S2 sense, who pretty well has a good bead on the industry uh and he seemed kind of off put by it but it's it's all a lot of he said she said allegedly this and that for the most part so we'll, we'll have to see how keep an eye on it and see how it plays out but it's definitely it's shady one you know no matter, no matter how you cut it, it there's a lot of shady stuff happening it's just who's ultimately responsible for it
1: yeah i it's i think it's pretty I guess it's pretty clear that someone made a decision somewhere, but it sounds like it was sort of down the totem pole a little bit. And also, I feel like if MSI's corporate was sort of trying to tell people, hey, you should do this so we can make some more money, if they have a ton of subsidiaries. It would have been more than just this one subsidiary, wouldn't it, right? Wouldn't that make sense?
0: Oh, absolutely, but it's still... who? It's It's hard to tell who you know it's it that's why it's all a lot of allegedlys so it's just it's at, at the the rock bottom just something to keep an eye on just cuz you know shady business is something to avoid
2: yep
1: i think the average person probably wouldn't ever hear about this it seems like it's the enthusiasts you know and that's that's what really weirded me out about their response that they that they put out their statement it's like MSI, you're marketing products to a very enthusiast market, so you should probably address it with a little more oomph than they yeah. did. You know? and I
0: and I think that's, that's why MSI is kind of making themselves look bad, because they didn't come out with a strong enough statement against what happened, and it's just like, it kind of it, it alluded to the fact that they knew it was going on and didn't do anything about it, and you know, again that's that's all a lot of allegedly you know stuff you know because you have to throw allegedly in there or people will try to sue you for libel or something yep
1: yeah well and i you know i got to say it's a, it was enough to put me off of MSI going forward i i am not a a big pc brand loyalist yet cuz i am not into the community as much um i don't have any MSI products that's not cuz i didn't want them just that's how it happened but Going forward, I'll definitely, because here's the thing, you could buy a video card from any of these um, companies that do aftermarket parts for video cards or motherboards. I know I know, MSI's Tomahawk is, like, one of the most popular motherboards, so good for them, but, like, you've got all these other options and a ton of competition in that market, so,
0: you know. Well, if, if nothing else, a, it's planted the seed of doubt. Yeah,
1: so if I have other options, you know. And I don't have to like hamstring myself in order to go with one of those other options. Then yeah, every time I'm looking at parts, I'm gonna have this in the back of my mind going, "Do I really want to go
2: with MSI?" You know, maybe not. Yeah. You know, and and it could boil down to
0: and shake down to being a whole lot of nothing. It could, you know, it could turn out that it was just a subsidiary, and they weren't, you know, they were acting on their own, and you know, MSI at large wasn't, you know. Involved in it, and then everything you know gets to be more hunk- hunky dory, but still, there's that seed of you know, uh, is, it, is it MSI, MSI, or is it a subsidiary? And you know, what's their record? So, either way, this is damaged MSI,
3: no matter how you shake it.
0: Yeah, definitely bad press, man.
3: Your statement wasn't exactly a, uh, a confidence builder either,
1: no, exactly.
3: Yeah. So we'll see
0: how it all plays out, but it's it's definitely planted that seed of doubt with anything, you know, MSI branded. You know, and I don't have anything I don't I'm not even sure I've used anything MSI and if I have, I mean, and and it was in the UK, I believe. So but even so it you know, moving forward and any upgrades I want, I'm probably going to steer more towards, you know, someone other than, you know, MSI given a choice if, you know, if, you know, I don't have any, you know, I don't have necessarily any preference. Granted, most of my, well, my motherboard and my
2: GPU are both gigabyte. So, I mean, I wouldn't exactly put that in a you know, brand loyalty kind of state, but it's definitely I have them, they work, and
0: they they make me happy, so they do the things that I want them to. But I would I would definitely be very very wary of
2: anything branded uh, MSI moving forward. Well, I think I think this particular thing. I guess I'm trying to keep things in perspective. I think we all are, but. This
1: particular thing was scalping, so I, as far as I see it, I don't see any problem with their actual products, with their design or their engineering or their manufacturer or anything like that. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to support a company that's condoning scamming or any kind of thing like that. I guess that's really the like, the thing here that we're talking about, but yes. um, as far as parts go, as far as I'm aware, MSI is a perfectly fine manufacturer that a lot of people...
0: Oh no, uh, uh, they make a good product, but I I'm leery of you know even getting a good product for shady business. And right, granted, I'm not naive enough to think that all oh, companies aren't shady at all. I'm I'm not that dumb. There's a lot of companies that do a lot of shady stuff, but ripping off your customer
2: base is probably some of the worst shady stuff you can do. Yeah, it's up there. So well, that was fun in the tech world. Also, in, the, in tech news, I
1: believe since the last time we talked, um, AMD came out with their uh, 5000 series desktop processor announcements. At least the first couple SKUs. Is that right? Or did we talk about that last time? I don't remember.
0: I don't think we did.
3: No, I don't think we did. Okay.
1: Yeah, I, I, um, I was pretty happy about... Uh, what they announced they only announced sort of their more higher end SKUs you know that are meant to compete you on know, sort of the mid and upper end um but i was really surprised they're coming after intel pretty bad cuz my understanding of things was you know Ryzen is a processor where you get a lot of bang for your buck you typically get a lot more cores than an intel processor for the money but intel still had the single core performance sort of locked down if you wanted the, the tippity-top of the performance, you, know, yeah, you still had to go with Intel. And especially a lot of games are designed more for single-core performance, or some games other than others. So they had them beat out you know, in some of those. But now it looks like Ryzen, they're making a push to not only have more cores and more bang for your buck, but they're trying to also have just as good, if not better, single-core performance
0: than Intel. I don't. Know. You're going for the jugular. They
1: really are, and I, you know, the funny thing is, is even back in the day, like I was kind of a fan of AMD because they always gave you good value for your money. They were never the best, but they were always like, damn, I could save two hundred dollars and get a pretty decent processor. The best all rounder. Yeah, now it's the same thing, but now their performance is like rivaling Intel's. I don't know. I think Intel got a little too comfortable for too long being on top of the mountain. Oh, for sure. Because AMD, the last ten or five to ten years, man, holy shit!
0: Yeah. Well, and the 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 announcement for Big Navi comes out the twenty eighth, so just in time for our next podcast, we'll be able
2: to talk <laughs> that
0: up.
1: Yeah, and uh, here's the thing: I don't think they're gonna. I you know, I, I Intel is one thing. Nvidia has not shown any signs of being complacent. They've been That's the true. king. They've been the king of graphics cards. Forever, and they, unlike Intel, they apparently have not been complacent. Those, this new three thousand series RTX cards, you know that even though they had screwed up launches, like you can tell that they're like, all right, we got to keep pushing because AMD is going to keep nipping at our heels.
0: Here, here's the thing, though, is you know even even if Big Navi is equal to the 30 series cards as long as AMD doesn't botch the launch with low product supply bots, uh, and all the other issues that has have surrounded the 30 series launch. That's a great marketing capital, a good, a good marketing capitalism, um, ability to capitalize mark market marketing wise, because, you know, you get a bad launch like NVIDIA's had, that's just, you know, e- as long as Nat, Big Navi is equal to or even slightly less than the the 30 series cards, AMD's going to be a big win because there's a lot of people burned and angry about the 30 series launch and how it went.
1: Right. And especially in these times where supply of things sucks, you know, if you, if you can reliably place an order for a Big Navi card once it's comes out and you don't have to worry about you know am i gonna have to pay you know there's no one, let's face it no one's gonna pay an exorbitant amount of money for a and, or for a uh, for an a m d Radeon card you know yeah that's like they would an nvidia new launch but like you know yeah if, well, you, I... if you could if you could have a reliable supply of it you know available at launch that's you're right that's a huge win yeah.
0: yeah. Well, in the flight sim community, and right now there's um, one of the community or the only community I'm really, in the corner of the community I'm involved with, there's been a guy that's been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for 30 series cards to come out so he could finish his computer build. And he finally got sick of waiting to where he bought a an AMD uh, RX or RT, whatever, Ah, uh, the 5700, which is the model you go. from where I've got, and because he was tired of waiting, and yep. you know it, it works with flight sims so well already that it's just, he was sick of waiting. So I mean, Nvidia's already kind of got to play catch up, and and uh, AMD hasn't even announced the specs on the the big Navi card.
3: I'm the outlier here. I don't think Big Navi is going to come anywhere near close to the performance of the 30 series, and I think that they're going to they're going to give it an effort, but I think eventually, NVIDIA is just going to reign supreme. AMD's always played catch up with graphics cards, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon.
1: Oh, I, I actually agree with that. Like I was saying before, like I just don't think I don't think NVIDIA's gotten complacent like Intel did.
0: Well, I've never I've never contended go. that AMD's ever going to, you know, catch NVIDIA. But I'm saying. Even if there's a lot of ifs going around, so let's not get that confused. And Nvidia has done a very nice job for as long as they've been around. The only reason why I have an AMD card, quite frankly, is because it was affordable and had the performance that I needed.
2: Right, and that's always been the the line on anything AMD is you just get a lot of bang for your buck, even though it's not the best. So anyway, yeah. So, so it's an exciting time. I'm glad. Uh,
1: Glad that I built the PC with the idea to upgrade because this is all very exciting to sort of be anticipating in the next few months.
3: Oh, absolutely. It's a case too of like if you're building your computer, like build it and then like me, I upgraded my case. I put a new SSD in it, but I didn't upgrade anything because I knew that there were new video cards coming and new processors. You know, is it necessarily the number one thing in my head for upgrade? No, but I know, hey. My computer's future ready now. I got rid of my old junkie case, so I'm not, not necessarily waiting on something, but uh, prepared, I guess
1: yeah, I think well that's it's pretty, it's it, wise.
3: It, it, it's smart to to future proof yourself,
0: like even with mine, I may upgrade the case at some point. because um, it doesn't leave a lot of room for cable management per se. Um, I mean, not that it does a bad job, it fit the aesthetic that I was looking for black and red. Um, I'd like to get some better case fans and I'd like to get a bigger power supply so that you know, you know, and and along with the cases, when once I upgrade my CPU eventually down the road, I'm gonna get it all in one water cooler, which means I'm gonna have to have the space for that. And it's getting kind of tight in my case already. Um, I want to get a bigger power supply so that it can handle a better CPU and a better GPU at some point. But at the same time, it does everything I really want it to do
2: right now, which for the last two months has been flight sim.
3: There you go. I'm up anxiously awaiting the launch of uh, Outer Worlds at the end of next week. I think it's the 23rd. And then uh, Cyberpunk after that cyberpunk looks interesting i'm outer outer worlds looks fun
0: because i've seen a lot of people but you know it, it seems like they're releasing you know content and
2: bits and like because the first initial bit that came out was like four hours long campaign
3: wise yeah it, uh, it was on epic game store to start which that's another topic for another day but i won't go anywhere near that i won't give them a dime so i waited for it on steam and uh We'll see. I guess there's a DLC out. I was listening to the Mighty Jingles, and he was talking about how there's some DLC uh, coming out or out for Outer Worlds. So we'll see what they got. And it and it does look uh, as a fun game because
0: it's it's made by the people that made uh uh the
2: New Vegas Fallout New Vegas Bethesda. No 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 no. They were the, they, Bethesda was the publisher. I don't know who that is. I thought I thought Bethesda did all the Fallout games.
3: No, no, no. There are multiple publishers for the Fallout games.
2: Oh, I didn't know that. Speaking (laughs) of Bethesda, didn't (laughs) Microsoft buy them? (laughs) Microsoft
0: just bought them. like last week. Yeah.
1: What the hell? (laughs) Uh, I'm sitting in entertainment. Microsoft is for as much. That's a whole honestly, we should write this down as a topic. I could rant about how much shit Microsoft gets, how much people use them as a punching bag. And some of it's right, some of it's rightly so. Uh I, I'm not gonna go on the rant right now, but I think
2: yeah. Yeah, I, gets, gonna say, I think
1: look. Microsoft gets overly <laughs> criticized for how much good they actually do in the industry. Different topic for a different day. But oh, yeah. I, I yeah. think but actually yeah, Microsoft Games, so I'm assuming it's Microsoft Game Studios is really gonna absorb Bethesda. Microsoft Probably. Game Studios has low key done a fairly good job over the years of at being a good game publisher, unlike some of these other juggernauts like you know Bethesda. Bethesda, <laughs> yeah. well Bethesda used to be good. They've you know they're now sort of garbage, but you know once, the, once
0: they entered the online multiplayer kind yeah, of round it's kinda like uh, gosh our our game engine's really old and has a lot of loopholes yeah. and it's not very good for multiplayer <laughs>
1: Well think you know everyone hates EA for good reason. They're the biggest publisher there is, and everyone hates them. Activision was good for a while, and you know they got big enough, you know, especially with quality. they're on like, the decline. everyone hates them now. so it's like everyone reaches critical mass and then they just get to either die of a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, right? Uh, but my I gotta, yeah. I gotta hand it to my game studios. They've kept it low and slow on the burn over time. And they're actually all I hear from the development studios that work with them. They're like, yeah, they're great. They let you sort of do your thing. They have some rules, but it's not like working. You know, it's not like publishing for. Well, it know, it seems like
0: Microsoft kind of absorbs these, you know, different companies, developers, and to do what you said is basically let them do their own thing, which is good, right? You know, because you people like a particular developer. For what they do, and you know, you get you know, they're afraid that you know, you get absorbed by some conglomerate that suddenly they're going to lose their identity, and that's that's happened before. Yeah, I'll never
1: forgive EA for what they did to dice. I was yeah. a Battlefield fanatic for a long time. You and, and
0: I played so much Battlefield, God, it
1: was so great, and I knew I knew it. I knew when they announced, and it was, it was years ago, I was like, This is this is a double edged sword when they, and EA announced that they were getting dice. I was like, this is gonna be great because they're finally gonna have the money to do whatever they want. And EA is gonna tell them, go make me a Call of Duty killer. And they did. Battlefield three was one of the best games ever made, in my opinion. I it, it still stands up phenomenally well today. Um but I knew that it was like they're gonna get as much money to do what they want to do, but it's gonna kill the studio over time. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna become their flagship shooter. And then after three titles, and it's exactly what happened. They, they declined and declined and declined. And it was to the point where I wasn't even playing their games anymore. And there were games that, in theory, I should want to play, like the Star Wars Battlefront game. I loved the original ones that LucasArts did back in the day. And my, one of my favorite game studios remaking that series, I should have been stoked for. But by the time they were getting around to them, they were just too cookie cutter. They you know? we were pumping them out like on an assembly line. They just killed dice. It's really sad.
0: Well, and you know, people are kind of worried and understand what, so that Microsoft's going to do the, would do the same thing. But so far, it seems that they've they've been pr- absorbing these developers. But really, all they do is like, look, you've got our financial ba- backing, you've got our methods of distribution. What you know, and there's Microsoft's even putting first-party titles on Steam, like Flight Sim, um, as well as the Microsoft Store.
2: Exactly. So
0: it, it's you know, it's. But they're getting, you know, these developers, especially the smaller developers, they're getting the financial backing to do the things that they want to do. But Microsoft's having a tendency to just do your thing, man. Yes. That's why exactly. people like you.
1: One of one of my, you guys probably know this, I don't know if I've stated this on the podcast before, but, you know, one of the video games, when I do game, so one of the games that I play, Sea of Thieves, and it's like, it takes Eyes. up.
0: <laughs> You've never played it a day in your life. <laughs>
1: as far as my gaming goes, I you know, I i play that a lot. Between it's really that and Rocket League that takes the gaming time I have. Um and Sea of Thieves is developed by Rare under the Microsoft uh Game Studios publisher. I don't know if they're owned by or they're just they're just publishing the game. But um yeah, Rare says the same thing. They're like they're great, they're really hands off. They just let us do what they do what they uh or you know, they let us do what we want to do and they're not, um, they're not tyrants, you know.
2: I'll tell you another studio. they not never, EA. I'll
1: never forgive EA for killing Pandemic. Pandemic was a phenomenal game studio, and they bought them and killed them. But this is not about who, how much we hate EA. I'm going off on that tangent, but I'm
0: trying to figure out. I'm, I had to look up Pandemic. They're the ones that did Battlefront Two, the original one.
1: They did so many good games back in the day. One of my, honestly, one of my favorite game series that never really got a ton of mainstream notoriety was Mercenaries. The first one was like on the Xbox and PlayStation Two. It was called Mercenaries: Playground of Destruction, and it was like back before open world games were like every single game that came out like they are now. Um, it was like an open world um take contracts game. There was a bunch of different factions. It was set in like North Korea. Um. It was really well done, and uh, they had a sequel to it that was still good, but it was it was not well polished because I think at that point EA had bought them and they pushed it out the door before it was ready, like they do everything. Um, but, but the funny thing is, this is sort of a tangential thing. Um, I was I was watching D and D videos a couple years back when I was in the middle of playing in, in Dungeon Mastering a campaign. And there's this guy named Matthew Colville on YouTube who's got a pretty popular YouTube channel. I think he does it full time now. He ran like some super successful uh Kickstarter for a book. He made like a million, he raised like a million dollars or something. But anyway, um he has a few videos where he mentioned he's talking about how to like write a story and he relates a lot, he related a lot to his time at pandemic games. And I was like, oh no way, this guy <laughs> This guy worked at Pandemic Games, and he was like, I was a writer on Mercenaries, Player Under Destruction, and I basically jumped out of my chair. I was like, no effing way. This guy that I like listening to for D&D was also involved as a writer and playtester for like one of my favorite games of all time. It's just one of those small world moments when I was like, I've never heard anyone else talk about this damn game. And here this guy was on the dev team. And the funny thing is, he talks candidly about how on that first game, how amazing a project and how fun that was to work on and how well the team coalesced. And he said, when we were doing the second one, it was a complete and utter mess. There was no cohesion and the game reflects that. It was really wild how to hear someone say that all these years later after I had already formed this opinion of it years ago, you know, to have someone who was on the inside basically confirm the things that I was feeling about it, it was like this huge vindication moment.
0: So, fun fact about Rare. Uh Microsoft acquired Rare in 2002. Oh wow, so they've been under Okay, I didn't know that.
2: Yeah.
0: And, and this is all according to Wikipedia, so
1: what games did Rare do before CFE? I know they did Battletoads. Oh uh, lord. Uh, <sighs> boy, I know Rare I mean the thing they got famous for back in the day was GoldenEye 007. I'm trying to remember other. They did uh, Banjo They did Banjo-Kazooie, that's right. They've actually got um
2: uh cosmetics in the c f e that were dedicated to all these old games that they made, metal toads Sonics and Sega all stars race, all starts racing uh but yeah, it's yeah, anywho yeah it's just it'll be interesting to see how that kind of. All unfolds over time.
0: Apparently, Rare is doing well. So there's that. Yeah, last I heard, Sea of
1: Thieves has got something like twelve million players, like like, uh, active players right now. They went to. I still remember the last time I played that. Oh yeah,
2: (laughs) dude, I'm telling you, the PvP in that game can be really triggering. I do not blame you. I I will say I will count. Since we're on the subject, I'll just throw it out there. I think you know. One of the trends in modern
1: gaming, you know, especially with these new games as a service model where you have these persistent online worlds. I know Matt, you and I played a lot of the division, both one and two, um, things like that. A lot of these a lot of these developers are doing things wrong. Loot boxes and stuff like that are a controversial thing. I gotta hand it to Rare. They started developing Sea of Thieves a long time ago, before this was really a big fad. And they do it right. they don't charge you for any of the expansion content, which means everyone's playing the same game at all times. Um, which also makes it really easy to then say, well, I'll buy some of their in game currency for like pets and stuff, you know, because it's like I'm getting like a ton of games for free all the time, <laughs> you know.
0: Well, I think a lot of what started that is just the controversy of loot boxes, how people were you know, like, and this kind of goes back to EA and why they suck. Um, uh, is just the you know your people were buying things that were exclusive to buying and they impacted gameplay. Whereas you know with exactly. Sea of Thieves, you're buying and anything where you're you're literally the the you're the only real money that you spend is either on the game itself or cosmetics, things that have zero impact on gameplay. And that's really how it should be. Even if you have loot boxes, you know it should only have you know stuff that is cosmetic and has zero impact on gameplay. Yeah, I definitely agree.
1: So I have to hand it to Rare, they did it right and I'm sure it was hard because I'm sure that there was probably pressure from somewhere even within their own development team maybe to like make the other decision and do what all the other companies were doing because it was a proven thing and blah, blah blah. They said no, this is the way we're going to run it and they committed to supporting the game for 10 years after launch. So we're not even halfway through that game's life cycle.
3: Well, and, I know uh, going
1: my, to Steam brought a ton of new players in, so I'm ju- I'm just happy that it's doing well and that they're doing well because I want to well, see there, I want to see good decisions rewarded. You know,
0: there's there's a similar uh, I don't know what to call it, but a phenomenon going on with uh, Microsoft Flight Sim because uh, the main developer that has been building the new Flight Sim has been a studios, and I guess they've done some other things. Uh, they're a French company, and Microsoft has basically, well, Microsoft and Asobo have prom, you know, promised to stand by at least ten years. And so far, all the extra content that they've released, like they did a big Japan update, and that's all they've been doing. A lot of other bug fixes and stuff, but you know, the big Japan update I was free, and they're going to be doing a lot of world updates over the lifecycle. Of making different parts of the world, like in a couple of weeks, it's probably going to be. The rumor is Hawaii, making it look better, and so it's Pearl, Pearl Harbor stream. Well, yeah, Hell depending yeah, on, as long as it looks good. Um, which if they're with if they if they do Hawaii like they did Japan, it, it'll look fantastic. Um, but basically they're they're standing behind it and. The world of Flight sim, as far as DLC and I use it your quotes, it's it's a different kind of animal than it is in
2: other kinds of games because
0: with Flight sim, most of the flight sim people, the the real hardcore really into it, are used to paying lots of money for extra content. And it's I mean, it's almost sickening how much money when you stop and think about it um, that they're accustomed to spending
2: on new airplanes and new sceneries and that sort of thing. But, you know, it's, I really don't know where I was going with that other than the fact that, you know, Microsoft's,
0: you know, doing a lot of nice free updates that they're not charging for, even though the flight sim community is accustomed to, most of the part of most of the, the quote unquote DLCs that come out for it used to paying for it.
1: Well good. I hope I hope that Microsoft weird as it is to say, maybe Microsoft can be a pioneer and show the game industry see, this is how you do it. And this is how you get fans to be okay with it, you know. Do it right. Yeah. You don't
0: You know you don't take a, a a beloved developer and then just change what they do.
1: Yeah, stop killing game development studios by acquiring them. And also, you, stop creating credit can, card traps for kids.
0: Can you imagine what would happen if Microsoft decided to buy DICE?
1: I honestly would probably be pretty happy. I don't think Microsoft Game Studios has a
2: shooter or anything like that, you know? Uh, Halo. Oh, that's true. I forgot about it. That's 343. Three. Right. But, I mean, a mainstream... Sort. Uh, yeah, it's just it, it, it. It's interesting to see
0: that whole dynamic unfold because it it can go a number of different ways.
2: Right. Yeah, man. Yeah, that'll be interesting. So, anybody here? Any any
0: interesting news tidbits or world events? I saw a video of a Zambodi catching fire. That's pretty gnarly.
1: <laughs> I saw that too.
2: I think you sent it to me, didn't you? I sent it to the group. <laughs> okay, that's where I must have been.
3: Our, everyone's uh, favorite uh, dementia ridden vice presidential candidate uh, said the police should just shoot people in the legs the other day.
0: I also heard Again, that he, he can said you say that, that a he while was... ago. I, I also heard that he uh, was. Had mentioned at a campaign rally within the last
2: couple of weeks that he was running for Senate.
3: Yes, yes, he did. It's, uh, th- this is uh, this is quite possibly the uh, laughing stock of the the Western world in terms of elections at this point. Yeah. By the way,
1: speaking of that, I just want to bring this up. Is, mm-hmm. No, are any of you guys triggered as hell? by the number of things trying to remind you to vote. Oh, God, yes. My credit karma the other day was like, hey, remember to vote. You know, if I may use some really frank language, hey, credit karma, why don't you shove it up your ass? It's like, you don't get to (laughs) remind me to vote. It's, uh, honestly, I'll be honest, I'm not a conspiracy theorist kind of guy, but it's really making me fucking suspicious. (laughs) Like... this hasn't happened in other election years and it's not just people doing it out of the kindness of their heart to be good citizens. no, there's there, something there's, some, there's, there's something somewhere. the fuck going on and it's really starting to skeeve me out
0: well, but, and there's been so much going on as far as the election goes that especially, you know, with the whole early voting and then mail-in voting yes. it's just like, it, there's there's too many questions and you know and I get if people want to you know, either mail in a vote or vote early, you know, do the you know, the COVID stuff. And I get it, and it's fine, but that's... I don't want to be beat over the head by social media to do it, because that just makes me suspicious. Especially uh, with recent uh, events of, like, American Contingency getting kicked off uh, Facebook and Instagram, how Twitter and Facebook are blocking a particular article, and suddenly everybody's, you know, uh, critical of was it the New York Times or whatever, the New York Post, one of them. And, you know, they're suddenly, you know, critical. Oh, they're not really. It's like, just because they posted something that goes against someone that you want to win and you're blocking that, That that's a lot of red flags going on. Not only
1: are the reminders to vote, have you guys been getting just an insane amount of cell phone, like text message spam?
0: Not text message, people? but I've been I mean getting a ton of it. I've been getting a lot of uh, random number calls from Benton Harbor, uh, Cadillac, Grand Rapids. Um, I think I've gotten a couple from Galesburg. Just they'll they. Well, I think my my voicemail box is full anyway. But uh, just weird random numbers and but I don't get text messages.
1: I've been getting a lot of tech spam, specifically political things. I've been getting it from both sides. It's generally like seventy-five, twenty-five. You know, uh, Democrats, people trying to save over Biden. I just tell them, I'm like, if you don't take me off your list right now, I will float for Trump out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no, please don't. Like, we'll we'll leave you alone. But it's like it's endless. I get like a couple a day. It's ridiculous. I, I I'm just true. I'm just wildly suspicious that something.
0: I I would I would I the next time you get that I s- put in there something about if this number doesn't get off of any registry based to, uh, from your party you're getting a lawsuit for harassment because that's what it is it's
2: soliciting and it's harassment when they don't leave you alone right and I don't care what political party you are
0: you're GOP right it applies otherwise. to
1: everybody equally.
0: Yeah. yeah but still either way i just equally
1: I can't uh, the, amount of, the amount of noise going on did i get it excuse me sorry um i know it's been a crazy year and especially that with the really vital election and everything but it's like i don't know it just feels like the world is changing for the for, like permanently you know like i remember even though i was young and you guys were a little older than me um I remember what it was like, you know, sort of before 9-11 and after 9-11. The world was just different. Like, everything just changed. It was like things a have an, really changed like drastically just point.
0: in the last four years.
1: Yeah, but and I think, I feel like 2020, and I think everyone feels this way, like, I feel like this is an inflection point. Our lifestyles really changed, and people have just sort of grown used to living in a certain way, and with things changing, and... um. I, I got a buddy that works for a fairly big company. I'm not gonna name names or anything like that, but they sent out a big company-wide memo saying, "Hey, everybody, like you should prepare for um, the fact that we will be continuing to work remotely until mid next year." Like they're already calling it eight months out. Like at at the earliest.
0: Yeah, my brother got uh, from the company he works for got something similar. You know and. You know, there's talks about schools going back to normal in November, uh, just with the recent events that we talked about at the last one uh, with the judge's ruling. And, but, you know, companies are, I think a lot of that, see, and there's some good and bad to this. You know, it's, there are a lot of companies that have discovered that, gosh, you know, some of our office workers are either working better or equally as well at home. Than they were at the office, so maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing to continue on, and it saves on it saves the company on you know maintenance and electricity and that sort of thing so I think you know, and I think to some degree, some of the benefits of the lockdowns have been that it's kind of taught the world to slow down a little bit and appreciate things a little bit better. Um, but granted in large part, I think it's just been more of an inconvenience and frustration, especially given the fact that most of it's been unconstitutionally
2: done anyway. Um, and I can say that because a court ruled that. So I'll
1: be honest. I really think, I guess I'll get a little uh, existential here. I, I really no. think <laughs> I really think driving everyone indoors and away from each other is a bad thing. I really think like the three of us certainly are no stranger to interacting online. It's becoming the norm nowadays. People interact on the internet all the time, we chat. You know, we, we spend time on in internet culture and things like that, and that's all well and good. But you know, everyone knows that there's a difference between Interacting in person with a group of people, going out and having a drink—just actual human interaction. Well, and and, that's, and that, that hanging kind out of, on Twitch or whatever, you know, yeah. it's just different. And well, I think and, driving a whole population online more and more and more is just not healthy for the society. I really think.
0: Well, I never we got finish the finished interaction.
2: I just wanted to throw that point out there. I think it's just unhealthy. Kind to have of a whole society getting to online. that. <laughs>
0: Well, then that's to continue my thought is I think there are a lot of good things that have come to this not but you know, there are a lot of bad things too, i.e. human beings are social creatures, you know no no matter how introverted we are, you know, once I get to know some people, I'm okay with socializing. You know, going out and doing things. And, you know, case in point, there's a lot of a lot of the elderly are, are dying off a lot quicker. To put it bluntly, not from COVID, but from despair, because they can't see their loved ones, and it's even worse for dementia patients. Uh, obviously, I had, I had heard that. Is that yeah. that's, that's, that's a, that's, statistic? a study, that's been a study that I've seen that you know floating around. It's just a lot of elderly folks are dying just because despair. They can't see their loved ones. Wow. You yeah. know, and. You know, that's coming out of people that worked in nursing homes, you know, and then it's it gets worse when it comes to people with, you know, folks with dementia because they don't know what's going on and they have to be reminded daily, you know, that what's going on and why they can't see their loved ones and this and that and the other thing. So, you know, I'm the kind of person I like to find, try to find the silver lining in, you know, the negative things. And I I think you know, like I mentioned before, there have been some good things to come out of you know the whole rocking of the world, so to speak. but there's there's a lot of a lot of negatives too the the being the forcibly cooped up was unconstitutional. that's already been determined by judges. and so that that was wrong. But again, finding the silver lining out of the whole thing it there have been some good that's come out of it. There's been a lot of
2: bad, though, and so you know, looking back, it, we can sit here and bench quarterback the whole
0: thing, but you know we can't change the past. We can only kind of change how we approach it the next time.
1: That's very true, and also how we continue with this because
2: this is showing defense going away. So how we continue to handle it from here, I think, is also. Anyways, Here's Your thought, Jeremy? What was that? You broke up, Andy. I just said anyways. <laughs> and I said, what What were your thoughts?
3: No, I, I think the, uh, the forcing everyone online and, you know, the stay-at-home stuff. I mean, I think we all agree that it was totally unconstitutional. I don't think anybody's ever, in the history of this world, quarantined the healthy people. They quarantined the sick. But uh, this just played into Big Tech's hand, and you see the brazenness of the uh, the Twitter and Facebook companies now to uh, to go out there and flat out ban truthful articles claiming that attack materials. It's disgusting. The the veil has been pulled, uh, pulled. Uh, I wouldn't even say pulled. The veil has been torn asunder, and it's like the partisanship that these platforms in, engage in. I mean, look at the Joe Rogan thing with Spotify. Yeah. And like right now, it's disgusting. You know, these these companies need to be, you know, as much as I hate government regulation, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they all need to be heavily federally regulated to ensure that there's no bias in the platforms, because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I the whole thing between are they a private or public eh, my eyes are public utility because of what they've become and they need to be federally regulated. If they want to engage in partisan behavior, then they should be held uh held as such. They shouldn't have any section two thirty protections. That's the way I view it. I wanna bring up an interesting point that my dad shared with me real quick, but I need
1: to look it up so so that I don't botch it. Let's see. I don't I don't know what his source is for this. I'm gonna to have to do some research for this, but He brought up an interesting point to me about fourth-generation warfare. Have you guys ever looked at that before?
2: No. no, I can't say that I have. Okay, I'm just going to read verbatim here. This is a formal description of it. Okay,
1: Fourth-generation warfare is conflict characterized by the blurring of the lines between war and politics, combatants, and civilians. The term was first used in 1980 by a team of United States analysts including paleoconservative William S. Lind to describe warfare's return to a decentralized form. In terms of generational modern warfare, the fourth generation signifies the nation-state's loss of their near monopoly on combat forces, returning modes of conflict to pre I'm sorry, returning to modes of conflict common in pre-modern times. The simplest definition includes any war in which one of the major participants is not a state but rather a violent non-state actor. Classical examples of this type of conflict, such as the slave uprising under Spartacus, predate the modern concept of warfare. The idea that fourth-generation warfare is characterized a blurring of the lines between war and politics. God damn if that doesn't sound
2: relevant. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean a battlefield on those
1: platforms you know
3: really is especially when you've got uh you've got some of the type of political animosity we've got right now and it's pretty clear all the i mean i don't think that there's any platform other than parlor which i love that doesn't lean to the left and actively ban censor whatever you want to call it you know content they i'm not even say conservative content because it's more than that it's just content they don't agree with
1: yeah. Have you seen there was a Joe Rogan podcast, I think this was last year or a couple of years ago, where he had Tim Poole on and then a couple of executives from Twitter. And Tim Poole kind of went after him a little bit. You know, Tim Poole's a fairly balanced, reasonable guy, and especially back then he was still a little bit young and naive. But he was trying to tell Twitter, like I think the Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey or whatever his name was, was there. He was like, Jack, Twitter has a left leaning bias. And he was like, Well, no, it doesn't. And Tim was like, "Yeah, it does." Like he's like, "I'm on the left." He's like, "I'm not trying to like argue with you." Like it's just a fact, and like they don't even realize it. I think some of the time, like, it, it, so like if you go back and watch that VOD of of Tim Poole trying to tell Jack Dorsey and whatever that other lady that was there about it, and they're trying to sort of defend it, and he's like, "You just admitted you have the bias. You just think the bias is right." You know, they're trying to defend what they were doing and everything, and it was like. The, the look of, like, surprise on Jack Dorsey's face is actually kind of strange. It's like, you were telling a kid something that, like, was obvious to everybody else and he was, like, blown away by it, you know?
3: That's what it is, right? It's that you don't know you're doing something illicit, wrong, or otherwise until someone brings it to you a lot of the time. It's like, you know, some of the people that, engage in criminal activity if that's all that they've grown up with they don't know that anything's wrong until someone outside right. of it says yeah, something. It's just normalized exactly and that's what it is with them they're so blinded by their own platform and beliefs or whatever you want to call it that they think it's all oh yeah, that's fine you know no oh, this this story is true oh, we don't agree with it just ban it but they don't see until someone brings it to them like there was someone that did that. His name was Adolf Hitler. He did some pretty bad things. Once you start down that path, you don't come back from it. It's a yeah. very, very dark path. Yeah, people make fun of the slippery slope thing. But, I mean, it—you know the reason it's old
1: wisdom is because it's very real. It's uh, it it been slipped
3: down many times. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, you know, I also find it funny that the same people that a lot of the same people that engage in that type of content and censorship and all that are the ones who want to delete some of the stuff from the history books. It's like, huh, I wonder why. Right. And in their own mind,
1: they're the, you know, they're doing the right thing for any number of reasons, but that's always how, that's always how evil works. Evil never works by just being a mustache twirling evil person. It twists good to its own devices. You know what I'm saying? It uses people's own desire to do good against itself by confusing people into thinking that
0: they're doing good, you know? The road to hell is paved with good intentions.
1: Exactly, man. All those, all these old wisdom things, they're all real for a reason. We ain't the first people to wander down these paths.
3: And we won't won't be the last. No. It's, it's like that, um, that self-realization. Like the, uh, Jordan Peterson was on uh, Jocko. He, I think it was a year or two ago. But he was talking about archipelago gulag archipelagio. Had to, had to switch that around. But it's that like that systemization where the norm gets totally switched. But the norm is wrong. But you don't realize the norm is wrong until you experience the proper, or not even proper norm, but a different norm. And Then you see it, and it's like, wait a minute! I called the the Stasi or the NKVD or the, the Gestapo on my neighbor because they didn't believe in their political view. What was I doing? You know?
2: Yeah, exactly. It sounds foreign to us, but things keep moving in that
3: direction. It's going to sound normal to us. Well, and it, it, you saw a lot of it with the lockdown stuff. You know, people people wanted to call conservatives and libertarians alarmists about stuff. But it's like the fact that like and I'm glad it went the way it did. But in New York, I think it was New York City. They had the call on your neighbor if they're not wearing a mask or having a gathering line. That line got shut down the same day because they inundated, inundated it with junk. It's like, good. That's what we need. Like no one should ever be compelled to snitch on their neighbor. For stupid things that are unconstitutional. Now if, that if shit you're... is straight out of communist Russia. Come on, exactly.
1: You on your neighbor is right out of Nazi that playbook. Germany, KGB
0: yeah. did it. You know, whether it's socialism in and of itself has been the cancer that uses that that kind of tactic of neighbor turning on neighbor for the good of the whole, because you know somehow some delusionist named Karl Marx thought that. Know had an idea that because he was a do nothing and he was owed things and he wrote a book and then suddenly middle middle class white liberal kids suddenly think it's somehow a great idea.
3: It goes back to that same mindset though. I mean, I'm not trying to disparage anybody, but if you look at a lot of those that group there, you do you know people call them Bernie Bros or whatever, but the ones who want act of communism and socialism, if you look at them, a lot of them, they're very poor. They're not been given a lot or they've got a lot of student debt and they feel something that's owed to them. But that's not the way society works, in a functioning society. But that's just, I mean, it, it all, it's it all lines up with history and, you know, people got to wake up. Not only does it line up with history, it
1: lines up with a microcosm of human behavior. I mean, it doesn't take very much to understand that if you give a child candy all the time, whenever they ask for it, they turn out to be a spoiled brat, right? That's a microcosm of a greater problem. Same thing applies to groups of people or to nation states societies. People who are very privileged end up becoming entitled I think I think that's a lot of it. I I think a lot of this issue is that people actually know how well they have it and they feel guilty. They feel guilty that they have all this stuff and they didn't do anything to work for it, you know what I'm saying? I think that's why a lot of these movements are characterized by that demographic of people that you just described a minute ago, the sort of middle class suburban white person, you know, the young you know, the young middle class suburban white kid, you know. I think they feel, I think inside, I think psychologically they feel guilty for all the privilege that they have. And that's why they're trying to like the system and all this shit.
3: Oh, it's that. It's the classic projection. Yes. A hundred percent. So you got to project out. And it's like from, I don't think I've, I don't know how much I've mentioned on the podcast, but for those that don't know, I'm in security industry in a major, um, downtown and i've seen the protests and the riots both because they both have existed in the city that i work in and that demographic is the one that i see every day when they're out there every single day it's that demographic you know it's like it's almost like clockwork you can just tell you know yeah i mean it is
2: what it is it's the reality of the situation I'm glad we got into that topic though at the very end. It's good to talk about. I you know
1: the funny thing is when we start out I always think like we'll, we probably won't fill a whole hour and here we are almost 2 hours in I think. <laughs> Get us you talking make at full hour 30. We can jibber jabber about anything I guess.
3: It's true. We we could do we could just do so many like single topic pods because we just we just we have such a wide thought base on it. Know you? Yes. Well, do you guys want to uh, want to wrap it up there? I think uh, I think that was a really good one, actually. Yeah, yeah me we too. covered the we covered the bases. Yeah, I feel really good about that. Next time. Look at dates, and next time we will have insight into the. Excuse me, into the uh, the new uh, series of uh, AMD cards. And we will have insight into how the thirty seventy launch went, which I will be hopefully participating in. So, and I think they don't botch it like they did the other ones.
0: Indeed.
1: And I think next recording will be like three days out or so from the election. So that ought to be interesting.
3: Mm -hmm. A few days out, yeah. Yeah. From from what I've been reading, it's going to get real interesting this week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised. I was um. I know we were going to wrap it up, but I guess I'll leave on this one thought. uh For years, actually, I've thought about donating some time, like volunteering, volunteering some time to be a poll worker because I've always had a lot of respect for those people. I know that it's really long hours, and I could tell it's miserable work because they're always in a sour ass
0: mood. Yeah, Andy, strip clubs are not for you.
2: <coughs>
1: <laughs> Damn you and your dad jokes. <laughs> uh i was thinking about doing it this year because i'm like they're probably going to be really under fire this year because the lines are probably going to be super long because there's probably a bunch of COVID stuff they got to do um i I let it get by me and i haven't even contacted my county clerk but i need to do that next time i need to start volunteering my time there anyway that's just
2: a thought to leave on i guess there you go yeah
3: well everyone we will see you in two weeks
1: Why, be strong, be of good courage. God bless America, long live the Republic.